do I have a good episode for you today, my friend. Today I'm talking with my friend, Dr. Lynetta Willis, about how to get out of stable misery with our relationships, with our partners and our kids. We talk about identifying and overcoming our triggers. We talk about being an internal processor versus an external processor, which was huge news to me. We talk about Dr. Willis's elemental living model, which was also really, really helpful, and how to identify what element your child might most be feeling like at different times, earth, fire, water, or air, which is so cool. Because sometimes as moms, we don't always know the best way to respond to our child's emotional meltdowns and tantrums and the different states that they get into. But using the elements as a guide, she shows us how to bring soothing water to our child's fiery state, for example. I love this because it totally simplifies our parenting struggles. And since we had this conversation, I've been using it with great success. Dr. Lynetta Willis is a psychologist, a family empowerment coach, a speaker, and award-winning author. She helps frustrated families break free from stable misery and unhelpful parenting and partnership patterns so that they can create more harmony at home. Over 20 years of journeying with countless clients led her to design the research-supported elemental living model and the PATHS relationship framework. These powerful tools help parents and partners improve communication, minimize overreactions, and transform intergenerational trauma. Dr. Willis's Harmony in the Home Couples Program and Triggered to Transform Group Parenting Program have received rave reviews from couples and parents across the globe. I just know you're going to get as much out of this empowering conversation as I did. Thanks for being here. The fact that you are here listening to this demonstrates that you are claiming a leadership role in your family. And like I always say, when you work on yourself, when you work on your mindset, when you work on your personal development, you make the world a better place. So without further ado, let's get started. This is the Motivation for Mom Show, a personal development podcast for moms, hosted by certified life coach and fellow mama, Sarah Munder. Each week, Sarah will bring you motivation, inspiration, and personal empowerment to help you show up even stronger for your family and be the mom and woman you were meant to be. You sacrifice so much of yourself every day, and it's time to take at least a few minutes and invest this time into nurturing yourself and filling your soul. You are worthy and you deserve it. Ready, Mama? Before we dive into today's episode, I'd like to invite you to download your free copy of The Mama Miracle, which is a worksheet I created to help you get out of a rut, start your day with clarity and intention, and start manifesting some really positive changes in your life. Mom life can feel really hard at times, and sometimes we just need to take a few minutes and brain dump everything that we feel isn't working and get crystal clear on what positive changes we want to welcome into our life. The Mama Miracle Worksheet was originally one of my best-selling products, but I'm giving it to you for absolutely free. Just go to themamamiracle.com, click on the banner at the top of the page, 
put in your name and best email address and I'll email it over to you immediately so you can print it out and fill it out as many times as you need to get your mind right and start creating some mama miracles. You have more power than you realize, and I'd love to help you find that power in this life-changing worksheet. So go get your copy of The Mama Miracle for free at themamamiracle.com. Now, go enjoy the episode. What I really do is I have um, one-on-one coaching packages that I use with couples, and uh we just go through, we use, I've created a framework. It's called the paths framework. And there are five areas that I believe really need to be in harmony within us in order to make our relationships thrive. So I use that framework with the couples that I work with and uh, to help them to identify where stable misery is in their relationship and then exactly what's needed. For them, I love the fact that you use the phrase dance. I use that a lot. Like, right, like who, what steps need to be shifted and how can we, what experiments, I talk about experiments a lot. What experiments can we employ to really help you break free from this pattern? Um, So there's that. And then I also have a group program for parents called Trigger to Transform, where I also use the PATHS framework because we can be in stable misery with our kids too and they with us. Right. So it's really important I use to help parents identify like what are my triggers and what are my kids' triggers? How do I break free from this? Right. And I take them through a really specific process to be able to do that. Um, The reason why I created it and the reason why I focus on triggers is because I believe a lot of parenting programs, they start in the wrong place. They start with here are a bunch of tools. Right. But the problem with all those tools, and this works for couples too, the problem with them is if you're triggered or when you're triggered, you can't access that stuff. You can't access, you know, what the book said or that line that you read that you're supposed to say when your kid does that thing. Right. Yeah. Why is that? Evolution. It's actually a really good thing. (laughs) Okay. So millions and millions of years ago when we were walking around in caves and whatever, um, our, the oldest part of our brain that's actually developed first is our emotional center. So the amygdala part of our brain, that's that part of our brain that when it, when it sees like a lion 50 yards away, goes into gear and gets us up a tree or whatever. In that moment, we don't need our frontal lobe, which is the part of our brain that analyzes and problem solves and remembers things and all of that stuff. So what ends up happening is, and we're being chased by those lions, our body says, let's get rid of everything that isn't needed, right? So in that moment, you don't want to have sex. You don't want to write poems. You don't want to do anything, right? That, that It's not necessary. You want to run and you want to save your life. And the people that didn't develop that, that ability, right? Probably their evolutionary line just didn't make it. Like it just, they got eaten, you know, the ones that were like, that's oh, 50 yards away. I got at least a minute before it gets to me. I can, I can chill and finish this sonnet that I've been working on. Like they didn't make it. So we don't have their evolutionary line in our blood, but the parts and the people that did make it were the ones that said frontal lobe shuts down, back of our brain kicks up lizard brain. There's so many different words for it. Um, And so that's what we do today. Whenever we feel 
triggered by something, when something happens that tells our nervous system danger, because our nervous system has two settings, safe, unsafe, that's it. Right. So even though our kids aren't lions, our nervous system doesn't care. It's just like unsafe. So what happens is our frontal lobe shuts down, our emotional brain kicks up and we go into fight, flight, freeze mode or protective mode. Right. So guess where all that amazing book knowledge is stored? Frontal lobe. (laughs) And it becomes like Fort Knox. We can't access it. Right. So the first thing we need to do is we need to get really clear on how to identify and manage our triggers and deal with those, then we move into the phase of, okay, now what do we do, right? Like what are some tools that we can implement to help us and and deal with um, our kids in um, ways that we actually feel proud of and wouldn't mind if got filmed and, you know, put on television. Um, so, yeah. and, and the same works for when in our marriages too, you know, same exact thing happens where, when we're triggered, frontal lobe shuts down, and then we end up spouting out things that we shouldn't and all of those types of things. And our partners, especially, I think, I know this happened in my marriage, like he would become someone else, like he would become like the enemy. It was like, I must defeat you. Like, you know, in that mm-hmm. moment, he wasn't my best friend. He wasn't someone that I loved. He was someone that needed to be destroyed, right? And so <laughs> it was one of those things where we just, fall back into the patterns that we know. Like if a lion's chasing you, the pattern you know is run, right? That's why when people, there's certain nature shows where you're watching, they'll be like, don't run if this thing comes, just stand still or play dead. That's not normal. Like you have to, you have to, that's why people run because they don't think like, oh, I'm supposed to play dead if a bear is trying. No, you run. Yeah. We fall back into those old patterns and those old habits. So when my husband would trigger me, it would bring up old scripts in my head and memories of times where this has happened before, which again is a really good thing. You want to remember the things that worked before to get you away from the lion that's trying to eat you. Right. So you want to be able Mm -hmm. to access that. And then immediately I would come at him as if he was that lion. And so that's like your, your fight. Yes. Reaction. Mm -hmm. Exactly. And it would end up being, and and what he would do in this dance that we would do is, so I would fight and then he would flight. He would just be like, I'm out, bye, going, can't even, what, what, what are you right now? (laughs) (laughs) So relatable. I know, right? Like I can't deal with all this, all the things. Um, (laughs) And it would just keep repeating again and again. And that's why for I would say almost the better part of a decade, my husband and I were in a stable misery marriage because we would just keep repeating the patterns again and again. And a lot of people think that stable misery is just you get to a point where you're just not connecting and you're not even talking. And that's usually towards the end stages of, of, of the cycle for a lot of people. It's when you stop fighting and when you stop caring and when you stop like that's, that is one form of it. But another form of it is you just keep repeating the same arguments and the same frustrate. You just keep going to the same places again and again um, that are safe, that are familiar. Familiarity is what we crave, even if familiarity is miserable. Because mm-hmm. familiarity, it's known. So even though this same fight, I was just working with a couple um, this week, and uh, they were 
dancing, I always like to say dancing over struggling. They were dancing with um, issues around intimacy. And every time we would go in that direction, <laughs> it was so fascinating. They'd end up somehow the conversation would end up about money. And I'm like, hello, how do we keep ending up here again? Like, do you all see this process that's happening? Like whatever yeah. this unfamiliar, unsafe space that they've been avoiding for what they, they're paying me to help them with. Right. Yeah. Somehow it would revert right back to the money. Right. Because and, that was what's familiar yes, to them. Yes. Mm -hmm. And it wasn't even, it wasn't conscious. It wasn't conscious, which why when you get into those stable misery patterns, having somebody to come in and help you to see like, oh, is that what we're doing? Like my husband and I, we have a family coach, right? Because I can't perform surgery on myself, you know? Right. And so we even have a coach that we go to because even though I've been doing this work for over 20 years now, I still can't, I don't care how many heart surgeries you do. You can't do yeah. it on yourself, you know? Well, and like you said, you know, we all have that brain that just shuts down and goes into the evolutionary part of the brain where we can't necessarily access the tools. Exactly. So, I agree. Exactly. Good for you. What are some of the common triggers that cause people? And let's, if we could kind of put a focus on moms, because that's the audience here. What are some of the common triggers that maybe moms you see, um, that come up for them that cause them to go into either that, that fight reaction or for me, a lot of times it's flight reaction. Mm -hmm. Like I feel myself getting overwhelmed with emotion when any conversations around anything triggering come up for me in my marriage. And my husband is always like, why can't you just sit and have a conversation about this? And my immediate reaction is like, I can't right now. Like I, it's just, I get flooded and I'm just like, I need to, sometimes I just need to like take a breath and like gather my thoughts and then I come back to it. But a lot of times in that moment, I get so triggered that I run, that I flight. Yeah. Yeah. And it's, it's, it's normal. Like there's nothing wrong. It's just, that's just how you are. And it's great that you know that about yourself. And I would often tell couples, and I'm going to answer your question. <laughs> I often tell couples, um, you know, my grandma lied to me uh, when I asked her when I was getting married, you know, what's the biggest piece of advice you have for me? And she said, don't go to bed angry. Well, I have found that to be horrible advice. I hate that advice. Horrible advice. advice. It doesn't work. It doesn't work. You, you would never sleep. I know. And the other, and what I, what often happens is I have a lot of couples who have, who come to me and they'll be like, we refuse to go to bed angry. And this, so the, what ends up happening is they're up till 4 a.m. fighting. And I'm like, where do you, like, at some point, your frontal lobe boycotted you. Your frontal lobe was like, I'm out. I'm going to bed. Do what you're going to do. So the right. more you sit there fighting in all that anger, the worse it's going to become. Because now you are really just like, you're not even human anymore. It's just your old yeah. dinosaurs brains just going at each other. Totally. You know what? I am so glad that you said that because that gives me so much reassurance that a lot of times when I do flight, when I do run, it's not so much that I, and I, I'm trying to convey this to my husband, but I can't always articulate what's happening when I'm triggered in that moment. But a lot of times it's like, I'm sleep deprived, which a lot of moms can relate with. My son still gets me up like six times a night oh. and we're working on that, but he's kind of going through a phase right now. He's teething, cutting molars. Oh. And so it's like, 
I feel like those things like sleep deprivation, or if I haven't eaten properly, all of my basic human needs have a big say in how I'm able to respond in a heated moment. And so for my husband who sleeps through the night because he sleeps in the basement and like he eats properly because he <laughs> get could like feeds himself whenever he dang wants and doesn't have anyone else to feed throughout the day. Like he's able to show up fully in that moment and like fully engage in that dialogue in that conversation, even if it's triggering or emotionally upsetting because he's like, like a full human. Exactly. In that moment. <laughs> and it's like, that's just really reassuring to hear that, you know, if you're in that state of like, it's late at night and sometimes you just need to go to bed and like, that will literally fix everything. Like you you can come back the next day and just be in such a better state of mind to like talk through whatever issues you were talking through last night. 100%. And the other thing about sleep that's so beautiful about it is sleep is our body and our brain's way to really put all the chips in the places where they go. So if you think about like during the day, especially when you have an argument, it's sort of like taking a chessboard and just tossing it up and all the chips go everywhere in our brains, right? And when we go to sleep, it's like these little people come in and they pick up the chess piece, the board, put it down and put all the pieces in the place. And, and you wake up and you're like, oh, checkmate. Look, I didn't even notice that last night, right? Checkmate. <laughs> I love this. Okay, I already love you. This is amazing. <laughs> Okay. It puts all the things. So when you wake up, it's what happens. Like if I have a problem or I'm trying to figure something out and I can't, I set the intention that, okay, brain, you're going to pick up all the chess pieces on this issue. You're going to put it on the board. And when I wake up, it's going to be together. Right. And a lot of times that happens. So when you wake up, you have a new perspective. Your brain is refreshed. It's, it's all the little things have been put where they need to be. So going to sleep can actually help. Because the chess, because you're trying to fight, you're trying to play a game with chess pieces strewn across the floor. Good luck with that. Right? So yeah. 100% go to sleep. I call them um, the six fire fuelers. And I know I can never remember all six, but there's something like fatigue, famished, um, frustrated, um, like so, and then three others that I really need to memorize. But there are things that if those needs aren't met or we're feeling those, then we're more likely to get into a fiery moment with those that we love, mm-hmm. right? There are things that are yeah. automatically going to trigger us to go into that space that we just don't feel good about. What is something that someone can do in that moment where something just came up and one spouse wants to talk through it? I use air quotes because it's more like, like, I don't know, argue about it, fight about it. Ultimately, they want to get some resolution, which is why they're bringing it up. But if the other partner is in a state where they just know I am not going to handle this conversation the way I intend to, what is something that they can say to their partner that's like, like a healthy way of like, I'm not shutting this down because I don't want to talk about it. It's just like, I am not prepared to talk about it right now. So one thing I talk a lot about too, that think surprises a lot of couples that I work with is some of us are internal processors and some of us are external processors, meaning that, and, and it often happens where, when I'm seeing a heterosexual couple, the man is usually the internal and the woman is usually the external. Um, So I'll just use those to to exemplify the point, but it can go in different directions. Um, So I'll have a couple where, the female identified partner will say, okay, um, we need to talk about this right now, right now. 
And then the male identified partner will say, uh, uh, huh? Um, uh, and then the female identified partner is like, you don't talk to me and you don't say anything and see, you don't care. And why don't you? And then the male's like, uh, uh, and then, <laughs> and there's the story that's created that she's more invested in the relationship than he is and all of these different things. But what ends up, what I, what I've realized with people is like, I'm an external processor. So I need to talk things out in order for them to come to a resolution in my head. My husband's an internal processor. So what he does is he goes away top of a mountain in Tibet in his head or something. And he, <laughs> and he thinks, and then he comes back and he says something really short and brilliant. <laughs> that makes a lot of sense. But when yeah. I try to force him in the moment to talk. It come. He says something insensitive, irresponsible, in, uh, intelligible, right? Like, it's just like, what? Which just makes it worse. So right. The first thing that I often look for in couples is, is one of them an internal processor and one of them an external processor? Like, we live in a world that really supports external processors, kind of like extroverts, right? We live in a world that really is leaning, lean, at least a, a nation that leans towards extroverts, right? Same thing with external processors. So the first thing I do is say, check in to see what's your processing style? How do you get information in your brain to click and come together? Do you need a moment or do you need to talk it out? Now, if you need a moment, I think it's really okay to say, you can have a quiz, a buzzword. Like I, I, had a, I worked with a couple once and they would say, um, Houston, we have a problem because the biggest fight <laughs> they had ever had was on a trip to Houston. <laughs> so I love it. They would say any, either one of them at any point in time, if they needed a break, they could say, or I say like a, um, a break or a breath, they would say, Houston, we have a problem. And then the other person would know, all right, we're stopping. Like that's just absolute stopping. But here's, here's the key. Here's the key. The person that says, Houston, we have a problem, has to, has to, has to come back and say, to kind of keep in line with the launch thing, like when they, when the launch will occur, like basically I will come back on this day at this time to continue the conversation because it's really hard, especially for external processors like myself to know that we need to talk about this and I, I need all these things. I need to talk this out. So that all the, and then not know when it's going to happen. Right. Like that's yeah. just even more infuriating. And then the person that went away needs to actually come back at the time and date specified. That's the key piece right there. So it's perfectly fine to say nothing productive. Like I'm hearing you and nothing productive is going to come out of me right now. So I need time. Can we please resume this conversation, you know, tomorrow morning at 10 or after we put the kids to bed at night, just give me some time to think about how I really want to respond to this. Yeah. Right? That is so helpful. I'm pretty sure you just solved all my marital problems <laughs> with that one tool. <laughs> Yay. <laughs> all right. Well, this has been a great conversation. Yes. So much fun. <laughs> all right. But let's keep going. So um, what are some other tri common triggers that come up and, especially with moms, but you know, even like with kids, cause like you said, you know, the, um, what was the, not the, the stable misery mm -hmm. 
can happen between parents and kids of any ages too. And I'm kind of in that phase with my five-year-old right now. Five is such a tough age, but she just, she's a lot like me. I am the internal processor and I can tell that she is too. If she doesn't want to hear something, if she, if she is not like, she has to be mentally ready and prepared to fully to hear and receive like any kind of corrective um, conversation or she's just like, she puts her hands on her ears and she's just like, Nope, be quiet. Don't talk to me. And it's taken so much like uh, discipline on my part to just be like, okay, take a breath. She is not uh, rebelling against you. She's just, she is you. (laughs) (laughs) And so I can have that compassion, but it's like, like I can literally see her like shutting down. So what are some common triggers? So, Years ago, I created another model because I have to put, I have to put the chessboard needs to always come together for me. So I created another model called the elemental living model. And basically what I did was I connect, I realized because our frontal lobe shuts down, learning theory says that if you want to be able to access new information, the best way to do it is to pair it with old information. And I realized that the four elements, earth, air, fire, and water, if you live on earth and you're over the age of three, you pretty much know how they work. You know? So what I did was I paired um, our temperaments and um, different parenting uh, ways of being interventions, I guess you could say, with the four elements. So the common one I always use that people can always identify with is fire. So when our child is in fire mode and they're throwing those huge tantrums, right? And they're just inconsolable. As parents, we tend to bring more fire. (laughs) That tends to be our reaction. But from an elemental perspective, we realize bringing fire to fire doesn't really work. We really need to bring is water. And from a, like a universal consciousness level, whenever I ask people like, what does water represent for you? I get like flow, compassion, ease, you know? So it's that idea of, okay, how do I bring water to this moment? So to answer your question around the triggers, um, there are the elements sort of stand out in four different ways too, that I find that parents often get triggered by their children. So sometimes our kids can um, be very airy which is like whimsy and unfocused. And like I have, my son is very airy. Um, One time I asked him to go in his room, brush his teeth, get dressed and comb his hair. And then he could go outside and play. And I went outside 20 minutes later, he had on a shirt, socks, shoes, no pants. (laughs) (laughs) And I know exactly what happened. I know exactly what happened. Like he was out there and he was moving and he was doing what he was supposed to be doing. And then a butterfly went by. And yeah. like, and then he, when he clicked back in, he was like, what was I doing? Oh, shoot. Right. Play, you know, and just completely right. forgot it. Right. So that <laughs> triggers parents sometimes like the unfocused, like I asked you to do this and now you're over here doing that. You know, that can really, really set parents off. And a lot of times they don't realize it. And so they'll bring fire or frustration to the moment in that moment when in reality, that's really not what's necessarily needed, like all of that energy. And that because what ends up happening, then the child turns into either water or fire themselves. Now, water is another trigger point. Um, and that's like when they get like whiny and sad and like, 
what I call it stagnant water, right? Like where you're just like, <laughs> oh my God, that's my biggest trigger. Like the whiny, yeah. like, oh, for the love, I don't care if you yell, just please don't whine, not the whine, I can't stand the whine, <laughs> drives me nuts, right? So that's yeah. another one that I find often gets parents, that whiny, sad, like, mm-hmm. or sometimes it can be frozen water, right? Where it's just like low motivation, not moving, not doing anything, not emoting, you know, just sort of like, ugh. Where you're just like literally, you're like Joy on um that movie Inside Out, where she's like dragging <laughs> sadness. Yeah, you know? like that type of framework. <laughs> yeah, totally, I get it. And then Hard Earth is another one, and this might this seems like what your daughter goes into, where they're like inflexible, stubborn, not gonna happen. Nope, la 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 la, la you know, and you're just like. So that's another one when our kids get into that hard earth mode where they're just like, not going to happen, you know? And then, of course, there's our beloved fire. (laughs) And that's when our frontal lobe is completely offline. Ain't going to like, it's just at that point, I always say the only thing you can really do when they're in that fiery mode is bring in some earth to contain the fire (laughs) or bring in some water, you know, to douse it. with compassion but sometimes that doesn't always work some kids actually that gets them more angry you know yeah they're in that fiery mode and you try to come in like i understand and can can i give you a hug and you know so those four areas where i find that parents especially um and the moms i work with really get triggered if their kids are like unfocused, not listening, can't keep things together when they get really um, inflexible and stubborn when they're whiny and just sort of in that space or when they're like, yeah. Wow. This is so helpful. (laughs) I don't think I've ever heard of the elemental living model. You said, I think you said you created it. Brilliant (laughs) because it's so simple. When you were talking about the the water, like being um, like when our kids get in like a a water state where they're just kind of whiny and just kind of flowing and they're loose and they're like have no support in their yeah they're puddling. Oh my god, great word for me. Like my immediately my immediate thought was like they need a container. They need like a structure. So like I need to bring like that solid earth in to like hold them up. You nailed it. She's clapping. <laughs> yes. She's like, you guys can't see her, but she's clapping. Okay. Yes, you nailed it. You nailed it. You see how intuitive this is? It's sort of like, all right, yeah. you're puddling. What do you need? You need a container. Oh, earth. Right. And and when you bring in that earth, it doesn't have to be a hard earth because that's more the extreme one. And that's sometimes what we do. Stop crying. Get up over there you know and that could be that more yeah. hard earth which doesn't really work it just actually leads their frontal lobe to sloth i mean off even more but you can provide like um some just basic guidance like i call it soft earth like soil like bring soil yeah. <laughs> you know like and one of my favorite things that i often say when my kids get into that watery space is do you need a hugger a moment Right. Do you need a hug or a moment? Right. And that provide that that one question helps to provide. Well, it does two things. One, 
whenever we ask a question, it jumpstarts our frontal lobe. Like whenever we do, we can't, you cannot try to answer a question without jumpstarting your frontal lobe. So I, I, as much as possible, I try to put things in the form of questions, not because I seriously think they're going to always answer them, especially if their brain is off, but it's like to kind of kickstart, you know, like when you do a car, when a car is like, you know, Um, the other thing it does, it does provide a bit of a container because Give him two options. <laughs> right. Hug her a moment, right? Which one, you know? And be yeah. able to really allow them to sit in them. And they might say, neither. All right. Yeah. That's okay too, you know? But it, it yeah. does give them that access. So really allowing them to, you be, and sometimes just your presence is yes. enough. Just be in there. And that's what I've really had to get into a deeper understanding of with my kids when they get into those watery moments. Like it triggers me and there's nothing wrong with their tears. There's nothing wrong with like, I guess there's, there's a part of me that's like, yes, there is. There's nothing really wrong with the whiny. (laughs) They're not destroying anything. They're not beating anyone up. And so in those moments, I need to ask myself, do I need a hug or a moment to be able to tolerate <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> and sure. with in this space when my kids are doing that really annoying thing that I hate so much? <laughs> yeah. I mean, I don't know if how this fits into the model, but I know like when my kids are, I, I mean, let's just use um, fire, for example, because that's the opposite of water. Mm-hmm when my kids are in a fire state and they're just like, like there's nothing that is getting through. Like they are just in an emotional state. Um, I will like literally put them in the bathtub or the shower. My kids are still pretty young to where, I mean, my older one. Yeah. Like I can physically move my five-year-old and be like, okay, we're going to take a bath. And I, I mean, I, it takes so much willpower in that moment for me to contain myself and like how it's triggering me. And a lot of times, like, I just kind of have to, in that moment, like, like tell myself, like, like kind of coach myself, like, yeah, you're going to need to get yourself together right now. And then like, once they're through their thing, then like you go and like process however you need to process but like sometimes just putting my kids in water just like changes their entire state of being. So I put them in the shower, I put them in the bath, even if it's like right after school, even if it's like not at like bath time or shower time, or we have like a water table out on the deck that, you know, we can, or just like when they were really, really little, I would just like put a bowl of ice out and they just start interacting with it. And it seriously does like change your state of being. Yes. Yes. And, and I love the fact that you literally bring water. <laughs> I love yeah. that. And, and, you know, I say earth contains fire. So even putting them in a space like that's, that's defined, like a defined space, like a bathtub or something like that. Like, I think you're, you're kind of bringing both elements in that. <laughs> yeah. it. And you're bringing water, and I think what you're what you're speaking to ties into why we ha- why kids have sensory diets, right? Why they have those that ability. Like, so my son, he had a sensory diet at one of his schools, and he was just able to get up after each class, and he'd get a little bit of extra time to go out and run around or do whatever he needed to do. Because with our kids, when they sit or when they're in these structured spaces for too long 
different stress hormones and things like that, cortisol, that stuff, it can start to build. And if they don't have an opportunity to slough it off, right, it could just like cup runneth over type of experience. And then you get those meltdowns and those different things. But if you can have, you can provide intentionally provide spaces and experiences where they can have the opportunity to engage and move and, you know, touch things and, you know, just get rid of all of that excess energy or all of that, you know, potential overstimulation in a way that feels good to them and makes sense to them. And then you, I think you can really stave off a lot of those shutdowns and blowups and meltdowns and, and things like that. So what you're talking about really is it's sort of like you just intuitively created these different sensory diet moments for your kids where they were able to engage with different things in a way that allowed their body to calm and release and sloth off some of those stress hormones and such. Yeah, that makes so much sense. You know, I'd never actually heard the term stress diet or not stress, sensory. Uh, sensory diet, yeah. sensory diet. So can you describe that? Cause yeah. I'm not really. So it's, it's born out of like occupational therapy and it's basically based on this idea that our kids, um, sometimes they're overstimulated or they're understimulated, right? Hyper, hypo, depending on your child. And um, what needs to happen, Because so what will eventually happen anyway is our children are going to try to get those needs met regardless. It's just going to be a natural reaction. Like, I need to move or I need to, I need to shut down. It's too much. It's too much noise. It's too much visually. It's too much, right? So, um, but when it happens, what usually ends up happening is they end up in fire or they end up in water or they end up in hard earth, right? So they go to extremes to try to calm their system down. So what a sensory diet does, it's an intentional way to help that child get those sensory needs met at different points in the day so that they don't hit those extreme ends of the spectrum. So if a child needs to, like there are some kids at my... um, one kid at my son's school, he has uh, noise canceling headphones, right? Mm-hmm. And so at different points, he'll put, he'll take them out, just put them on. And it's more than likely because he gets to a point where he's so overstimulated that it just becomes too much. And so yeah. he has clues and different things, I'm sure. He probably has a sensory diet that lets him know, oh, it's getting too much, right? And and helping our kids to really become aware of their body sensations and emotions, which is something we as parents aren't always good at. Um, is it, For those listeners who are anything like me, like I was raised in a home where there were certain emotions that were just not okay, right? Like whining, what? Ah, yeah, right. <laughs> Crying, what? No. So the difficult emotions, air quotes, um, were not allowed. And I think that's part of the reason why there are parts of me that really struggle when my when my children do it, especially the whining. Yeah. Because anger, that's something that was allowed. But whiny? Are you kidding me right now? That's not allowed. That's not okay. So I really had to grow to a point where I was able to say to my kids and to myself, like, tears are okay. Tears are Yeah. You know, tears are nature's shower. <laughs> I love that. Yeah. yeah. So the sensory yeah. diet is just a way to intentionally help our children recognize within themselves what their sensory needs are 
and by and, and also creating specific times and situations and contexts and circumstances where they can themselves get those needs met so they don't end up going to the extremes. Yeah, that makes so much sense. And that's so helpful to know um, sort of like what to do or what your what your options are in that moment, what you can kind of turn to. I don't know how you feel about this, but I think, you know, personally too, when I work with my clients, we work on a lot of um, like thought work about it. It's like, what, what story am I telling myself about what's happening here? And I think like for me personally as a mom, like when, um, when my kids are crying, it's like the story that I tell myself is like, I'm not doing my job as a mom because my kid's not happy, you know, and I take it so personally, I don't even realize that that's happening. But that's why like, it's not okay to cry as far as like the mom is concerned. Cause it's like, Oh, that means that I'm failing. But mm-hmm. my mom, my mom's so intuitive and she, um, she always reminds me, you know, tears are okay. It's okay. If they're, crying. they're, it, they're not hurting. Like tears doesn't mean that they're hurting. It means that they're like, they're letting it out. Like they're processing. If they weren't crying and holding it in, like that's what would hurt. Yes, 100%. We talk about, so in the PAS model, the P stands for perspective. And we talk a lot about the stories in our head because I completely agree with you. That throws us off so much. Um, And it also stands for like the vision that we want to create for, you know, and where we want to go in our relationship with our child, which I think both are really important. But I always say the greatest threat to our parenting joy is the stories in our head. Yeah, It's the greatest threat right there because we tell ourselves these stories. Now that doesn't mean that our kids aren't acting like little, <laughs> what? Sometimes they totally are. Yeah. And we're going to have certain feelings right? about that. Exactly. And the stories in our head throw us off because what it, what it does is, If I tell myself a story and I'm operating off of that story, then what I'm not doing, I'm not making room for any alternative truths about what might be going on in that moment with my child, right? So I'm not tuning in. The the harder I am on and and the, the firmer I am rooted in that story, like this is what's happening and this is why, then the less I'm open to actually receiving insight from my child who might be telling me through their body, through their emotions, maybe even through their words, what's really going on because, you know, we have confirmation bias. So anything that happens that confirms what I believe, I take it in 100%. I swallow it whole. Anything that disconfirms it, I don't see it. I don't hear it. I don't think it right. So if I'm stuck in story, then I'm probably going to, denounce anything that gives me an alternate perspective on what may be going on. Yeah. That makes so much sense. Doesn't it? And one thing I often say to parents too, is a lot of times, and I truly believe the more longer I do this, I truly believe this. I really think water precedes the fire. I really think stagnant water precedes the fire, precedes the five alarm fire with our kids, but we miss Mm. the stagnant water. And I think it precedes the hard earth too, but we miss the stagnant fire. So a lot of times when I'll say, well, what happens? You know, it's, it's not that our child, it, it, we, we tend to focus on the, the elemental space that triggers us. 
right? So, oh, they're just so hard earth. They're so stubborn and they're not listening. Da, 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 da. You know, but the more we talk and the more we go through, there were actually clues and steps before that where they were trying to communicate, you know, whether it be through like sadness or, but we completely yeah. didn't see it. Right? And then that fire comes at us or that hard earth comes at us. And then we're like, see, see, they're impossible. Can't do it. You know, and it's like, <laughs> well, in that moment, maybe they are a little impossible, but you know, if we can really start to get track of the stories, then it allows us to get a wider perspective and a wider range of who our child really is and what's really going on with them and potentially intervene in an earlier moment um, and teach them to intervene on their own behalf at an earlier moment before they hit those elemental extremes that just throw us. Oh my God. Mountain. You just described it so perfectly and so easily. It's like, okay, I can work with that. I can, I can work on tuning in a little sooner. Um, can you go through the, the other letters of the past framework? Yeah, sure. So P is perspective. So that's the stories and the vision. A stands for awareness, you know, and I think, um, like I said, many of us are not aware of our feelings, our body sensations. Um, and I think that's so important because our triggers, they really do live and I think even start in our body, right? By the time our brain conceptualizes what's going on, like, oh, they did the water, but our body's already our body's been there, right? So becoming aware of our, our feelings and our body sensations and using them as the signposts they are really key. Um, the other thing about that's in awareness is being aware of others. So being aware of our partners and how they're responding to us, our children and how they're responding to us, right? Because my, my, son, my husband and my daughter, God, they trigger each other like <laughs> nobody's business. Oh, it's it would almost be I bet it's it really entertaining for you sometimes with what you do. I know, like, what is happening? But um, it's so funny because not too long ago, my daughter got into this, like, I hate you, rah, 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 with my husband. And and she stomped off. And my husband was like, see, see, I didn't do anything. I didn't say anything. And I was like, really? Because from my perspective, uh, you kind of, like, did some things that you do with me too. I'm just a grown woman with a fully functioning frontal yeah. lobe most of the time. And so, right. And so when I pointed out to him, like, you know, when she made this comment, you kind of mumbled under your breath. That's a trigger mm -hmm. for her. Right. So it helps to also seeing like, what, what, how do I right. bring fire to the moment? Like, what am I doing that really sets this moment off? It's easy to think it's mm -hmm. all their fault, but yeah, yeah. here too, right? So the awareness piece is a big one. Um, the T stands for tools. And I always say, we're always using a tool in a relationship. The question is never, am I using a tool? It's, is the tool helpful or unhelpful? Taking five deep breaths is a tool. Yelling is a tool. Mm -hmm. They're both tools. You know, it's just a matter of which one are you choosing? You know, so that's where the elemental living model lives in the Triggered Transform program. Like that's when we get really deep into, okay, how do we use this model to create a specific plan for um, the trigger that you're that you're dealing with, right? So that's when we start going into the specifics of where a lot of programs start. That's where that part comes in. Um, 
and we just start brainstorming and creating experiments and different things like that. Yes. So the H stands for healing and honoring. So of course, a lot, the, the thing about a trigger is of course the trigger is the thing outside of us, right? So we feel triggered by our child or our partner and what often, and what, what a trigger is, is it's something in the present that is reminding us often of something from the past, right? So it's triggering a memory or triggering an event. So one of the things that we need to focus on is getting clear on, is there anything with us that needs to be healed, you know, in those moments? And it could be something deep from childhood. And it could also just be something we need to honor. Like, I need to honor the fact that I'm hungry. Like for me, I know that after about 530, I'm done. Like, yeah, I'm done. Right. And that, that was huge for me because that's like on time, you know, like they got to get bass and dinner and blah, blah, blah. But I realized like, I, I don't put it much of fight. They're like, I don't want dinner. Fine. Make a hot dog. I don't care. Like, yeah, <laughs> I'm just like, I'm well, we have a capacity. We're very limited in what we can, like our willpower is very limited throughout the day. Exactly. And so realizing that about myself, I cut myself some slack, you know, like right. I'm still a good mom if they eat peanut butter and jelly all week for dinner, whatever. Yeah, totally <laughs> fine. You know, so. And for all the listeners, I think that that's going to be really reassuring to hear a psychologist <laughs> say that. And also a mom. 100%. 100%. My, and, and this is a mantra that I always talk to my parents about. And I'm like, I have them repeat. My needs matter. Mm-hmm. My needs matter. Like, my needs are important. My boundaries yeah. are important. Like, it's okay for me. Like, once I stop breastfeeding, like, I got my body back, and now it's mine again. And sometimes mm-hmm. I don't want to be touched. Sometimes I don't want to be in this space. I'd rather be in that space. And it's okay for me to say that. Even if my child's like, no, come sit here. It's okay for me to be like, I don't really want to right now. I want to sit here. Yeah. You know? And they're fine. Yeah. They'll be okay. <laughs> Well, and that creates a model for them to honor their feelings yes. too. Yes, your needs matter. My needs, we all matter. Now, sometimes they clash. That's 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 a whole different thing. Your needs, mm-hmm. my needs. But yeah, we could deal with that as it comes up. But they all matter. They're important, you know? Yeah. Um, and then the S stands for self-empowerment. Mm. And as parents and as partners, especially in stable misery, we can often feel like, we're powerless. And as if um, there is nothing we can do to change the situation or the moment. And I always say the only, even if you're tied up in a basement somewhere, you still have power. I mean, you have the power to swallow and eat and poop and pee. Like, I mean, like there's still some power there. So asking yourself, like, where is my power in this moment? Sometimes your power lies in your ability to walk away. And I know this is not popular among all parenting folks, but I strongly and I will go to my grave believing it is okay to walk away from your child when you are dysregulated. No, I agree. And I'm glad that you said that because, um, I mean, you know what you can handle. Yes. And like some parents will be pushed to the point of like hitting their child if, and it's like, like I feel it come up in me. Mm-hmm. I don't do it, but that's because I know like I gotta I gotta like walk away for a nice. second here. And then almost sometimes, like you were saying, sometimes our presence can be um 
bring healing to whatever our child, like create that container for our child. But sometimes our presence is just like triggering our child too. And like sometimes walking away, at least for, in my experience with my daughter, um, the one who shuts down, sometimes she just needs to be alone. Like, and I completely relate because I'm the exact same way. 100%, you know, and, and that's why I, I say like bringing water to the situation you're in the situation. So finding out how can I bring water to myself in this moment is key too. And sometimes that means I need a moment. Now I will say, I need a moment. I will be back later. Like I'll be back. I need a moment. Like I will, I will audibly say that. And sometimes they're like, no, and they come running after you and all this other kind. I say, you know what? It's okay to like go into the bathroom or, you know, whatever, like, it's okay. I would much rather you barricade yourself in the bathroom than hit your child or do something or say something that you will fundamentally regret later. And that will absolutely harm the connection between you and your child or even you and your partner. Right? Like it's okay to walk away. Hey, that rhymes. It's okay to walk away. (laughs) You are not a bad mom. You are not a bad partner. If you just say, I need a moment. Like I'm going to choose the moment option. I don't need a hug. I need the moment option. I'm choosing the moment. I'll be back. And- right. And it's not abandoning anybody. No, you're not it's, you know, abandoning. You're going to come back. Yes. And I worked <laughs> at a um, juvenile detention center um, with uh, many, and many of the children who were on my ward had been abandoned and neglected. Mm-hmm. So I know what abandonment looks like. Yeah. You going. And hopping, going into the bathroom so that you can breathe and avoid saying or doing something that you regret is not abandonment. Yeah. No, it's not. Now, if you leave your child in a roach-infested apartment for five days while you go off and do God knows what, which, yes, true story, that is abandonment. Yeah. You're not abandoning your child by taking a moment and allowing yourself yeah. to be able to breathe and allowing yourself to time for your frontal lobe to kick back into gear. That's not abandonment. Oh, thank you for saying that. That is such a good distinction. And I think we'll bring a lot of relief to the listeners who, you know, who feel guilty for having to use their self-empowerment yes. <laughs> in the framework. So thank you for sharing the past framework. And um, the elemental living model was so, so powerful. And do you use that like in your trigger to transform program. I do. It's nestled in the tools. Like where I'm running the program right now and we just finished it last week. Well, we're still doing it, but um, yeah, we're in it now. And awesome. It's, it's, it's so much fun for me because I'm very visual and like mm-hmm. I get images before I get thoughts. So sometimes I'll get an image and I'm like, what does that mean? So it's just so much fun for me to play with. <laughs> Tell us more about your program. Then. Is it a group program? It is a group program. The next one is starting in August. Oh, and I also want to say um, the PAVS model, if Mm -hmm. listeners go to healingstablemisery.com, you can actually download an infographic of the PAVS model. So you don't have to try to remember everything. And it gives you like one quick step that you can implement to for each step in the model. One thing I tell people is don't try to do the whole thing. Don't try to do all five steps. Just pick one, do it for a week, see what happens. Because <laughs> people will be like, I'm going to do all. No, no, you're setting yourself up. But yes, yeah, so the Pat, the Trigger to Transform program, we're um, in the middle of it now. The next one will launch in um, 
August or September, sometime around, you know, giving people time to like get through the summer and recoup from COVID and all that other kind of stuff. And then we will start it again. Awesome. So yeah, definitely listeners go grab that infographic of the past framework. I think you said healingstablemisery.com, right? Okay, perfect. I'll definitely put that link in the um, in the notes for this episode. And how else can they find you, get a hold of you, join your program? Yes, yes. So um, if you go, well, if you're on my list, you're going to get information about it, about the program anyway. Um, and so just be on the lookout for that. And um, I'm on all the social media things. I'm on the... Uh, and it's, I'm on the Instagram. That's so funny. I sound like, like my grandmother. I'm on the Instagram. I'm on the, <laughs> yeah, on the gram. The face. I actually have a Facebook group called the family room and it's got a little, it's got a, it's yellow couch with a little teddy bear on it. That's the cover photo. If you want to find oh, cool. it, so you can go to the family room and we awesome. post some fun things in there. And soon I will be doing more lives in there. And, and so people can absolutely get in touch with me and connect with me and ask questions in that space as well. Awesome. Well, we'll be sure to put all of these links in um, the notes for this episode so that listeners can easily find you because you are a gem. (laughs) You are a light in this world. And thank you for doing what you do because you are really working to change the outcome of the next generation. And I'm just, I, you know, that's my main goal and mission here is to help empower moms to step into the most powerful version of their selves so that they can positively impact the next generation. So it's just such an honor and privilege to have the, to have the chance to talk to you today and talk about all these cool tools. Thank you, Sarah. I've really enjoyed this. This has been so much fun. Thank you. So much fun. (laughs) So much fun. Before you go, I thought I'd ask if you'd be willing to take a moment and leave a review on iTunes or simply share this podcast with a like-minded friend. And if you're on Instagram, you can find me as at Sarah Munder. Take a screenshot, post it to your stories or your feed and tag me so I can see it and give you a shout out on the show. While you're over there, send me a DM and let me know that you're a listener and what your biggest takeaway from the show was. Hearing from my listeners is one of my absolutely favorite parts of my day. And so I'd love to hear from you, sister. And if you're ready to change your life, I've got something for everyone on my website, themamamiracle.com, where you can get my free worksheet, the Mama Miracle Manifestation Worksheet, to help you get your mind right for the day. You can join my popular planner makeover course where you'll learn how to more strategically use a planner to reach your goals, accomplish all of your tasks, and finally make time for what's truly important in your life. This course is for those of you who need new strategies for creating a schedule and getting the most out of your precious time. And if you're ready for a whole nother level, sister, I invite you to apply for my 12-week coaching program, Breakthrough. I only work with moms who are serious about up-leveling every area of their life and are committed to reaching their goals. So if this is you, I want to hear from you. Just go to themamamiracle.com forward slash coaching to apply. That's the mama, M-A-M-A, 
miracle.com forward slash coaching. Thanks for being here and I'll see you on the next episode of Motivation for Moms.